Hey everybody and welcome to the first official episode of Boy Meets Woman, the podcast. Today is episode one. Cinderella is a little boy and let me just say I'm honored and also grateful for everyone who's going to be tuning in to listen to these amazing, you know, yet triggering stories. Um, I want to give a few disclaimers before I get started. So that way, as the episodes progress, you don't have to keep asking the same questions. You could just refer to the first episode. First disclaimer, um, this is my natural speaking voice. I'm not going to change my voice. I thought about changing my voice to a higher octave, um, but I'm not going to because I'm not a gimmick. I'm a human and this is my natural speaking voice. So if you don't like it, I'm so sorry. I've been told by some people that my voice is rather soothing. So hopefully this could be soothing for some. Um, and also please keep in mind that there are people's grandmothers and great grandmothers whose voices sound 10 times deeper than mine. So let's just keep that in mind when we're being shady. If we choose to be shady with the voice. <laughs> Second of all, I want to also give this disclaimer. I'm a black transgendered woman. I am a black transgendered woman. I am a black transgendered woman. Mm-hmm. Um, which means I don't need a reminder from people. Um, <laughs> that's just. That's absurd to me that people really think they need to give reminders to people who are very open and honest about who they are. So yeah, no reminders for me, um, please. I'm a black transgender woman. Um, and number three, if you choose to be shady on social media, if you choose to, you know, comment negatively, and I just happen to come across it. I'm going to respond and I'm going to throw shade. And if you throw a stone, I'm going to throw a brick. And I think that's fair. Um, I don't like to be negative, but I also welcome it because in every negative situation, there's some positive. So I find it flattering when people throw shade, but just know that my responses are deadly um, and also know that I can't fight. So if you try to fight me because my response maybe triggered something inside of you, I'm going to call the police and file a report. Yes, I said that. Oh my God, I sound like a punk. I sound like a punk, but it's it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's the truth. Um, also, I want to just make mention that this is a story time podcast, which means that you could choose to believe what you want to believe. I'm going to be as raw and as honest as possible. I'm also going to try to protect certain people from slander because... Uh, this full disclaimer these stories are very triggering um i'm gonna try to find the comedic relief in them because i've been dealing with these stories probably my whole entire life um and i've just been able to get to a place to open up and do it on this platform where it's healing for me but it's also going to be closure for me because after season one is done i'm going full throttle the guest I want to hear other people's stories, but this season, it's just going to be me and my voice. I'm not even going to do a video portion of it because I feel like it's just way too intimate and I don't want it to be a gimmick. I'm not a gimmick. Um, Also, I had a very elaborate plan to roll this out. I was going to change my voice. I was going to tell the story in my former voice because I know how to talk in that voice. Just, just, you know, just from being trans, you just, that's a perk. That's a benefit get you some translations um excuse me (laughs) but um no so i said i'm not gonna do it with all these anti-trans legislations going on i don't want to be a gimmick i'm not a gimmick i refuse to be a gimmick so i'm gonna be my authentic self and i've been told i'm a pretty good storyteller but that's to be determined um and this podcast will determine (laughs) if i'm a good storyteller or not but again this is a journey for me you guys this is not just me coming on here to tell you crazy stories this is a journey and everything that i've mapped out in this journey is to be able to get to some form of closure for me so i i welcome you and with open arms and i pray that you take my disclaimers to heart because they're real and um you know they're applied to everybody children included um for those of you who do not know who I am, my name is Chanel Hudson O'Connor. I am a mother. Well, I'm a stepmother, but I like to say mother because I can't say stepmother um, when you're raising. So, yeah, I'm realizing that this cuts off. <laughs> so I'm going to have to find a way to record longer, but, I, you know, I'm just going to have to keep recording in increments. But, um, yeah, I am a 
a mother, um, a beautiful bonus mother. I'm a wife. I am an entrepreneur. I am a publicist of over a decade. I've worked with some amazing people, some amazing brands. Um, I'm also a TV producer. My show right now is number one on Peacock. It's one of the number one shows on Peacock. I'm Casey Anthony, Where the Truth Lies. Please check it out if you haven't watched it. It's her first on-camera interview since her famous acquittal. And please also keep the negative comments to yourself. Trust me, I've heard and seen them all. The, the audacity is cute. Um, she was acquitted, you guys, and I really do advise you to watch the documentary. It's very revealing and it's also riveting. So check that out. Um, and I'm also, you know, signed to some dope agents and I'm looking to take over the world in the next five years. Um, I say that casually because, you know, you can't plan to take over the world egregiously. You have to just kind of be like, yeah, if it happens for me, it happens. If it doesn't, well, well. We'll see how that goes. So, yeah. So, welcome. Episode one, Cinderella is a little boy. And this is where we where we start. Um, I am the first generation American in my family. My entire family is from Jamaica. Um, being in a Jamaican household, it's very weird. Um, and I'm going to say weird in the context of there's just certain things that you don't see in American households. It's almost as if they have transferred the country to America. And again, I'm the first American. So growing up in my house, I just always felt out of place because my parents were Jamaican. My brothers were Jamaican. All my cousins were Jamaican. I didn't have like American cousins. So it was just always weird. I never really had much of an outlet to express myself um, when it came to like feelings and emotions because <laughs> if you have parents sorry my dog is is shaking and his collar is going crazy <laughs> the joys of podcasting are <laughs> absolutely delightful um but no when you are in these environments you kind of get to a place where you can't really focus on the things that help you become a better person because your parents put you in a specific position to where, you know, you're supposed to act a certain way. You're supposed to do certain things. And, you know, my mom is very, very conservative, you know, Christian, you know, straight from like the Pentecostal, you know, church of God, like that whole, you know, missionary Baptist kind of like feel of Pentecostal catching the Holy ghost, praying in tongues. And it was just very like intense with my family growing up. And, I have so many stories that I recall feeling as if I was Cinderella or feeling as if I was being, I, I felt left out. And, you know, if you know the infamous tale of Cinderella, you know, she's kind of like the outcast of the family. She's also, you know, the most brightest and she just kind of has like a different grace about her. And, you know, parents don't really see see it for her essentially. So I've kind of always felt like my parents have never seen it for me, which is fine. Um, in hindsight, child, I'm sure the gag is real. Um, but going back to the origination of a lot of my stories, right? There was a time that I could recall that my dad was taking my two brothers somewhere. And this is going to add context to why I say Cinderella is a little boy. And it's going to be interesting to kind of establish where that context came from. My dad would take my brothers out to, you know, different places, whether it's Burger King or he would just like spend time with them, whether it was, you know, back in the day, we I'm from Fort Lauderdale, um, Lauder Hill, Shallow Side. And sometimes it would be a matter of him having to take the trash in the car to the dumpster at a fast food restaurant or somewhere else because you know back then you know garbage pickup may have been too expensive or maybe they didn't really have garbage pickup like that in lauder hill neighborhood so i get or i don't know if it's maybe like you know because it only came once every two weeks i'm not sure but i just remember i've always wanted to like go and like just hang out with my brothers and my dad and i just remember always being left behind every single time being left behind and being left behind is like probably the most uncomfortable feeling that you can ever experience as a child. And I'm talking about going back 
from age like seven or eight. And I remember one of the times I started to cry because I don't know if they were going to get mulch, you know, back where I'm from in Lauderhill, they used to be like a lot of development going on and they would take the trees and turn them into mulch and they would just sit there. So people would go there at night with their trucks and they would just take the mulch from the compound because they were going to throw it away anyway. So even like little moments like that to just go and be in the car and help bag the mulch that was always left behind. And I remember a particular time, my it was at it was in the evening time and we were all at the house in Fort Lauderdale. And my mom had made a my dad had made a comment like, come on, you know, to my two brothers, we're gonna go and we're going to um, you know, do whatever. And I wanted to go. And he said no. And I remember my mom made a comment that said and it's so very, it's clear in my mind. She was like, why are you treating our child like Cinderella? And then she also made the reference to one day you may need this child to bring you a glass of water or whatever. And I, I don't remember verbatim how much my mom went to bat, but I just remember I was like eight or nine years old. So there was no like signs of for me, my sexuality that I could like express other than being a regular, normal eight-year-old kid. And it's kind of hard to establish a sexuality or from an eight-year-old, like even for me, and I'm not saying like not every eight-year-old is different because some eight-year-olds, they just know. But for me, whether I knew it or not, I never felt safe enough to express it. So for me, I'm, I'm saying I didn't have the tools or the resources or the parents to just establish, okay, maybe there's something off. Maybe I'm a little sensitive. I was always just really emotional, always crying, but I spent a lot of time by myself. Um, by the time I was like four or five years old, I was reading, you know, out of the dictionary encyclopedias. I was left to my devices a lot. And a lot of the times it would just kind of relate to reading. And um, ever since my mom made that comment about Cinderella being a little boy, or what, let me just go back a little bit. When I heard the Cinderella is a little boy reference in the episodes and planning for the episodes, I actually tap into my mind. Like there are parts of my brain that are closed for, for very traumatic reasons. But every so often I tap into my brain and I go into like a deep meditative state and I try to pull things from my childhood that I could deal with in bits and pieces. And it's so ironic that I chose Cinderella is a little boy not even remembering until I tapped into that space that my mother had made that comment when I was, you know, seven or eight years old. Um, and she made that comment to my father. And I just remember it being like me being there, not even realizing what it was. But it's just so interesting how your conscious mind kind of taps back into parts of your life that you probably thought that you forgot. And then you see it unfold as life progresses. And you're like, wow. So Cinderella is a little boy is homage to the little boy that I was in in that time. Now, in hindsight, I was treated like Cinderella, um, not in a way where I had a wicked step parent or, you know, I had evil siblings. It, I just felt alone and I felt isolated and I longed for someone to rescue me. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's that's where the context came from. Just to give a little backstory. So, um, yeah, being in a Jamaican household is, is kind of no fun when you're American. Um, my speaking was different. Um, my pronunciation was proper. You know, my parents kind of, even to this day, speak with the slang. Um, we call it Patois. So it's kind of like a mix of English and I don't even know what the other thing would be. It's kind of like a broken English. Like, you know what I mean? I said, wagwan, me youth, yeah. Big up yourself. Big up the people that my watch. Yeah. Big up the people. Like, it's kind of like, you know, that. See how I just switch in and out like that, child? Who, Lord? Um, so it's kind of like that essence of it. It's kind of like super hype. And it's just like they have these weird, quirky things. But the thing about it is I grew up in an American system. Um, when it came to schooling, when it came to interactions, my friends were American. Um, I didn't really have too many other Jamaican friends growing up. And again, I'm from the shallow side of Lauder Hill, Florida, um, which is like, you know, Fort Lauderdale. And then, you know, the other kind of not boroughs, but other cities along the, the ocean coast. And one of the things that I realized is. 
I didn't have many friends growing up that I really could relate to. Um, I do remember being introduced to a cigarette by one of the neighborhood kids when I was maybe like nine or 10 years old. And I remember taking a puff, but I remember it was just so disgusting. Um, I do remember kissing a boy in the second grade. Um, at the time he was a, a really close friend and I remember I ran into him and I kissed him on the lips and I remember I kissed, I could feel his teeth and I just kind of played it off as if like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Or, you know, I just ran into you, but no, it was an actual kiss. And I can recall people from my school coming home with me after school, because this is the thing y'all, the one benefit, Oh, could you stop scratching yourself? Little dog. I'm sorry, y'all. My dog, she, he just be itching and scratching. And I don't know. It's not the fleas. I think it's the collar irritates him. So he scratches on the collar and it just goes around in a circle. And that's what you hear. Um, I don't know if you, even if you, if you hear it, cause I have the noise cancellation, little mesh, but you know, Amazon be set you up. <laughs> but this is my first like experience at a podcast. I wanted to keep it really simple and not as elaborate. So yeah. Um, I remember moments where I would, and again, let me just explain this. I'm a latchkey kid and, you know, I'm a very young latchkey kid. I remember eight, nine years old, I could be able to cook a meal for myself, come home from school by myself, walk home by myself. There was no like parent guardian, although I did have a cousin who kind of acted as a nanny, but she kind of had her own life. So for me, and she lived with us, she was from Jamaica. Um, she was an immigrant. My parents, you know, brought her down in hopes for her to, you know, get whatever paperwork she needed to be able to move on with her life and have a family. And, you know, there's more to that story, but this is not about her. Um, (laughs) and, um, coming home, I just remember there were situations where some of the guys would come home from with me in school, like one or two guys, and we would like measure our body parts in the mirror because the way that the house was set up when you walked in there were these panel mirrors that kind of pentagrammed like the room like the corners of the room it was very south florida tile floor um you know very much air conditioning in the window you know although we had although we had central air we still had air conditioning units in the window because of course my parents being jamaican they was like nope you can turn the air on in the window <laughs> i don't know but um it wasn't like the most glamorous life, but it was, it was comfortable. You know, they made a way for themselves. You know, my mom came from, you know, humble beginnings. She's one of several children. Um, You know, when she married my father, she was, you know, not, she was still a virgin essentially when she married my dad and she wanted this kind of image of like the perfect family, the husband, my father was, you know, a police officer. He trained to be a police officer. He lost his mother when he was like 12 years old and my mom ended up losing her dad. And, you know, the kind of saga continued of like the, the, the trauma and it's going to come full circle. I'm not going to talk too much about my parents until later on in the episodes, because you'll understand the full circle moments. Um, that I've come to the realization, even though I have not been able to get any closure or healing from my, you know, my family. Um, but going back, I, I had very vivid memories of kids like coming home and measuring ourselves and me not being so comfortable with what I saw. And it wasn't that I was uncomfortable about what I saw. I was a little boy and no one had had a conversation with me about my private parts. No one had a conversation with me about sex, birds and the bees, anything. So, um, there was an incident that took place and I'm going to be very specific to this incident um, because it's like my first real like notion of abuse um, and trauma and how it's kind of translated when I was maybe eight or nine years old, I was asked to play video games at a friend's at a neighbor's house, essentially. And, um, I went, but I was hesitant to go that day. I didn't want to be disturbed. I was literally reading a book and, my neighbor popped up in the window and he was like, we're going to go around and we're going to play video games. And it was really hot. It was summertime. And um, I just wanted to stay in the house. And they were like, come on, you're always in the house. Come play. And I remember I just begrudgingly 
was like, okay, I'll go. And, you know, I loved playing wrestling games. I was a big fan of like WWF at the time, WCW. So I was like, okay, we're going to go and we're going to have a good time. So I get to their house and I'm playing the video game with them. And the dad comes home with these big bags of like icicles. And if you're from Fort Lauderdale or if you're from Lauderdale, you know, or if you don't know, let me explain to you. We had these huge, like super huge icicles, you know, like how they have like the regular icicles that you rip off for the kids. Well, we had like the jumbo ones and they used to cut them, cut them in half. And then you would always get like a hot sausage from the jar with a bag of salt and vinegar chips or a pickled egg. And you would, you know, mush it up and eat it. Y'all real, real South Florida for real, for real. Um, so I remember like the dad came home and he had like a bag of like these ices because it was so hot. And he was like, come on, you guys come in here and get icy. Mind you, this family was American, um, very American and um, very black American at that. So it was very much like, come on, y'all come get a very family oriented also. And we all ran the living room and we all got an icy. He cut them in half and he gave me one. I went back in the room and I was probably over there for like maybe an hour and a half. I don't remember what I did, but some some small thing happened where maybe I had pissed off my brother. And this was my older brother. Maybe I had pissed him off or maybe my brother was just always seemed like he was just always sick of me. Like I like they didn't just like they were just always like sick of me. As far as I could remember, I remember there were times where they really loved me. And I remember there was a time where they were just sick of me. And I don't know if that was just because I was like super inquisitive or just super proper. But I just always felt this sense of like disdain from them, almost as if like they're looking their nose down and they were older than me. Um, I want to say four to five years older than me. So my two brothers, the oldest and the middle, they had their own little bond. And I was like the last child. And after me, that was it. Um, side note, my parents prayed for a little girl and they got me. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> that was me snapping my fingers <laughs> let me stop let me stop <coughs> but um no um I remember eating the icy I remember just having a good time over there and you know I remember I left and my brother had stopped me or something had happened and I remember he went into the house with his friend because the kids that I was playing with their older brother and my brother were like the best of friends and I remember I don't remember what it was, but I remember he went in the house and then he turned around and he came right back out of the house and I was passing him like on the sidewalk and he was like walking in front of me and he ended up going to the house and my father was outside talking to the neighbor and like, this was like a Saturday. So, you know, my father would do yard work on Saturdays and he would like, you know, sweep the yards and, you know, just do little things, paint the side of the house. He would just do find different things to do. My father was always doing something. Um, home improvement like he was just very much into that like that whole like just appearance and how everything looked and the grass had to be cut and the dead leaves had to be cut off the trees and he was just very anal about how everything looked and um I remember I wasn't planning on going home but I wanted to go home to change my clothes because I had on regular clothes from before when I left and I remember my brother and his friend walked in front and they walked to the house and they went to the house and something told me to stop. And maybe halfway to walking in my house, I just immediately stopped, like froze. My brother came out of the house from around the corner because there was edges, there was the bush. But it was like, you know, the big, tall, green privacy bushes. But you could kind of see in between them. And they were all lined up, you know, in between our homes. And I just remember my father had a broomstick in his hand. And he said, like, I'm going to break that boy's head. I remember him saying that because he was talking to the neighbor. Now, for those of you who don't know, Jamaican people are very vulgar with their language. Sometimes they'll say things. You'd be like, oh, my God, did you really just say that? Yes. Um, if they think that you're fat, they will just call you straight up fat. You're fat. Um, if they think that you are too black, they'll tell you you're too black. Like that's the thing. There's people nicknamed in Jamaica, blacky and fatty boom, boom. And there's all types of, you know, weird names here. He go with that shaking again. Um, <laughs> the dog, um, 
so there was like there's like a lot of like that whole like kind of like that's just they embrace whatever it is they are so my me hearing my father say that is was like okay well maybe he's just joking or he's talking to the neighbor but i just remember the look in his eye it's almost like he was looking for me to turn that corner in the edges so i decided to turn around and i saw my brother walking out with his friend and he just had a smirk on his face and i gathered that at that time he went to tell my dad something i didn't know what he told my dad because i didn't do anything i literally left from reading a book i the book was face down on my bed when i left to going playing to going to going to play the video game and then when i was done i came right back um and when i left my dad wasn't home at the time so maybe i'm thinking did i not you know clean up a dish or whatever and my father was very hostile he wasn't the type of dad to talk to you even if he was yelling at you there was never any lessons in his aggression there was never a lesson. It was just aggression. There was never like, I'm going to yell at you and I'm going to be mad at you, but this is the lesson from it. It was never that. It was just, he was an angry person. And when it came to the kids, it's almost like he just became, especially me, not saying that my brother didn't get it as hard as I got it, but I don't remember. And I'm not here to tell their story. You know, they came before me. So maybe they did. I don't know. But I just remember for me, at this time, like, this is where, like, a lot of, like, the stories start to build up. And I'm like, why was this happening to me? Um, you know, no kid deserves to go through this. Um, punishment is one thing for doing something. A spanking is one thing for doing something. But no child deserves to be abused. And um, I'm just, I, it, let me, let me keep going. So I end up turning around and I end up leaving. And I was like, what am I going to do? I just had this fear of going home and I never went to the park. I had a little cousin who came to live with us and he ended up getting ringworm from playing in the sand. And I just, from that moment, I've just never been like a park person. Um, I don't know what it is, but like the sand that's been just sitting there and it rains and you know, there's animals that come use it at night. I've just never been like an outside outdoorsy person, but some in, in my mind this day, I was like, I want to go to the park. And I walked one, two, three. I walked four blocks up into the church park and it was always open to like the neighborhood kids. And when I got there, there were a group of kids from the neighborhood there, another group of kids from the neighborhood there. And these are kids that I typically don't hang out with because again, I didn't never really came out the house, but they know who I was because at the time my father was a pastor and you know, not a big pastor. They just knew like people that went to our church or they knew from whatever. Um, one of the daughters of our school administrator lived up the street. So it was one of those neighborhoods where people know who you were, but you weren't like just best friends with everyone. So I went up there and I ended up spending the whole day at the park with these kids that I never played with before. And I played in the sandbox. Um, yeah, I played in the sandbox that day which is something I, I never did. So after about like five and a half, six hours of playing in the sandbox, I decided, okay, well, this is a thing, right? There's all these nuances to my story. I didn't feel safe around my mom, but I, in my mind at this time, I felt like my mom would protect me from my dad. You have to think about it. Like my dad is a very scary person. He doesn't, talk to you he talks at you um and i just never connected to him from a very early age i just was never connected to him and i mean that's probably the first time that i'm saying that but i just never connected to my father going back and thinking of these memories i just didn't have a connection to him um yeah and um I had a connection with my mom, but I felt like that was going to be short-lived because my mom is a very ambitious person when it comes to proving a point. And um, anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, I had this idea or this notion that if my mother was there, then I would be able to rationale whatever was coming my way from hearing my father make that remark about breaking the, you know, breaking my head. And um, I just remember going to a neighbor's house and getting something to drink. And I was like, hey, what time is it? And I just remember my mom was getting off of work at seven o'clock that day. 
She had a red Toyota Privia, the little, the little Ninja Turtle van. And um, I would always just like look forward to seeing her come down the street because my mom used to come home and she was always like, you know, just kind of exhausted from work. So I didn't get like the, the turned up side of her. I got like the calm side and she was just happy to see me. And I was just always happy to see her. And this particular night, I just remember it got dark early. Um, or not dark early, maybe like seven thirty, eight o'clock. And I just remember I kept like thinking like, okay, it's getting dark. I don't see her. I don't see her. So I stayed at the corner, the top corner of my street on 43rd Avenue in Lauder Hill. And I sat at the top and I just kind of like kept peeking behind my neighbor's bush to see where my, you know, if that was going to be my mom turning into the house because we were two houses away from the stop sign that I was at. So I could see in clear distance when she was coming and when she would be turning in. And I just kept peeking and I kept peeking. And every time a car would come, I would think it was her and I would get excited and I would have to like go back behind the bush. And then finally she came, maybe like after 30 minutes, literally standing out there, she came. And I just remember I ran from the stop sign to the house. And I just was like telling her like, hey mom, like I didn't, cause I didn't know how to explain to her. Cause I didn't know what my brother said to my dad. I just remember the remark he made, but I couldn't put two and two together back then. I just remember I was like, hey, mom, you know, um, I don't want to go inside right now. My mom was like, oh, my God, honey, let me just go inside. And she was just very calm. And you could tell she had a long day. She was a nurse and she just wanted to get inside of the house. And she was like, carry my lunch bag for me. And I was like, mom, I don't want to go inside of the house. And she was like, stop being ridiculous and go in the house. And every Saturday, my father used to cook a big meal, whether it was like in Jamaican culture, whether it was ackee and sawfish, it could be dumpling and banana with sawfish and mackerel and just all types of different food. It could be curry chicken or whatever. But every Saturday he would cook or, you know, it would just be a big meal. Like certain days were just always big meals. And the house would always feel really hot because this house was the smaller house that they, this was their starter home, you know, coming from Jamaica and being immigrants and having to work their way up. So this was their starter home. And um, I just remember the house being hot because my dad would be in the kitchen and literally the whole house would get hot. So I just remember I was like, mom, I don't want to go inside. And she was just like, oh, just come inside and, you know, let me put my bags down and let me just, you know, settle in. And she just was not trying to hear me with what I had to say. I remember she had on her work, she had on her work uniform. She gave me her lunchbox. It was a teal lunchbox. I remember the color very vividly. It was a teal lunchbox and it was old. So it started to like, you know, fade a little bit. And I remember, I, and it had Jen H, my mom, my mother's name, you know, for obvious reasons, I'm not going to say it, but it had Jen H, her abbreviation, Jen H. And um, I remember I just kept looking down at the thing and she was walking in the house. She walked through the front door and she turned the corner in the kitchen and she was like, hi, everybody. Good night. You know, Jamaican people, when you come in the house, you'd be like, good night. You know, I've later found out that American people say that when they go to sleep, we say that when we come in the house, <laughs> if you don't say, hey, good night, you in trouble. <laughs> So she walks in the house. I walk behind her. She says goodnight. And my father is just standing there. And he has something in his hand. I don't know what he has in his hand, but he's just standing there. He had on a wife, a white wife beater. He had on these black work shorts that he had from like working around the house. And I just remember when I turned the corner into the kitchen past the dining room, I just remember... He's charged at me. Mind you, I'm like eight, nine years old. And he just charges at me. And. I just remember I ended up in the back room behind the kitchen, which was where my cousin was. It was like a sunroom that they turned into like an extra room for her. And I just remember being lashed with an extension cord that was exposed and i just remember it, it just felt like a beating after a, it just lashed after lash after lash in my face on my back on my arm and i remember i stumbled into her hair dryer box in her room you know back in the day they had the hair dryers you have to like sit underneath 
and you had to like you know dry your hair and that was the hair dryer box and it was empty but she would keep like papers and different stuff in there and I tumbled in the box and he was just standing over me just lashing and striking 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 and I remember my mom kind of saying what are you doing stop no he's bleeding he's bleeding and I just remember I was like stop please and I was sweating and I'm hot and it's just these lashes from an extension cord not a belt not a, a, an extension cord that was exposed, had exposed wires. And he's just lashing. He's not stopping. My, he finally stopped when he got tired. And you could tell that he got tired. And I just remember saying, sitting in the box, sweating and shivering. I pissed on myself. You could see the P outline at the bottom of the box when, when I got up. And I was just covered in blood like literal blood like lashes blood in hindsight i would equate it to a slave lashing except i wasn't tied to a tree and it wasn't a white slave master beating me it was the person that gave me life the other half of my creator outside of god and um, I just remember getting up and when I looked up I just remember seeing my brothers one of them was watching washing a dish he was drying the dish he had a dish rag in his hand and um my other brother just kind of shook his head. Um. Oh my God, I do not want to cry. These are supposed to be funny stories, Chanel. No tears. No tears. No sorrows. What did she say? Prayers, prayers, sorrows, sorrows. But it's like no one cared. My mom, she just was in shock. She just was, she still had her nurse bag in her hand and she just was in shock. I need a tissue. Thank you. She was just in shock. And I remember my shirt was ripped and I had on a white V-neck shirt. And I remember my shirt was ripped and you could see like the ring of dirt around the neck from me being at the park and just being out all day. And you could see like the ring of dirt. But then when you look down, it was just like blood and rips. And I remember my mother grabbed me. She grabbed me and she took me outside. And I guess she had spoke to my father and she was just trying to figure out what happened. And my father told, told her what had happened. And I still didn't know what, what, what I did. Um, I had no idea what I did to this day. I still don't know what I did wrong. My mother grabs me and she takes me around the corner to the house that I was at playing video games. And I, I'm trying to figure out what it is, but mind you, I'm literally fresh off of this the slave plantation i'm just gonna call it what it is like literally like white shirt dripping in sweat and dirt and blood and my mother is like taking me around to the person's home and the dad comes to the door and my mom is like hi was my child here earlier and he said yeah you know they were here playing the video game and blah 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 and then I remember my mom said, did my child go in your refrigerator and look for something to eat or something to drink in your refrigerator? And Mr. The, the dad, I don't want to say his name. I don't want to mention names, but the dad said, no. And my mom kind of just sat there and looked at me and looked at him. And he, she said, my child didn't, my son didn't come and get an icicle out of your freezer and he was like no i came home from work and i had a bag of ice pops and i cut them in half and i gave them to all the kids that were over here 
And my mother like kind of like jerked my shirt and she was like, look at what his father just did. Because he was told that he was in your refrigerator to get an icy or freezer to get an icy. And Mr. Williams, the look on his face was just like. It was just like, I've never seen a dad look so concerned. Because I never saw my dad look concerned ever in my life. So my mom just stood there for a minute and she was like, thank you. And he closed the door and I just remember like she walked off and he still was standing there. And I just started crying and she was crying and I was like, why did he do that? And she was like, he said that you went to the house to get a, um, you opened up the refrigerator. You know how your father is about, you know, people thinking that you're hungry, you want something. I said, but I didn't ask for anything. I was crying. I, my body was hurting me and she was just so distraught. And I remember she walked in the house and she said, she called my dad's name. And she said, what you heard is not true. And she, I remember she said something. I don't even remember what she said. I just remember my body was hurting me so bad. And I was so afraid. Like, it's almost like I had became a shrunken version of myself in the presence of my father. And I, I just remember my mother went off and she tried to defend what she could, but the damage was already done. The abuse, the, the trauma had already started. I had shrunk into a smaller version of myself and I just remember he left. He didn't say he was sorry. He didn't apologize. He just left. Um, I just remember I took a bath. My mother put peroxide on my cuts and, um, Shania, you're not supposed to be crying. You're not supposed to be crying. Um, I gotta take my lashes off. I just remember the next day was church. And I just remember I was told to stay home from church because my back was welted up. My face was welted up. And they didn't know how to explain that to the people at, you know, at church. So I stayed home. Once again, by myself. And I kind of was happy that I was by myself, but as an adult now, it, it's so, it just, oh God, I'm sorry, y'all. I was, I need a minute to take my lashes out. Give me one second, guys. Um, I was not expecting that reaction and, um, I'm kind of happy I'm not recording this because these tears are real. And actually, I want to just take an unfiltered photo. I'm actually going to do a video too, so that people could see that these tears are real. Because you know, some people say, "Is she really crying? Is she really?" Yes. So, um, I was left alone and they went to church and I don't remember my, my dad apologizing. I remember him explaining his actions, but I just don't remember like, an, I'm sorry. I think he was more sorry that my mom found out that he 
was wrong than he was for actual the, the actual damage and the trauma that started from that day because that was like the start of my trauma and to make matters worse the beatings did not they didn't change normally when it normally when a parent does something wrong and they beat their child to oblivion it's normally supposed to be like a you know okay well maybe i went a little bit too hard let me just stop it didn't stop i think it just kind of opened up the door for it to just continue and there was nobody to like There, there was just nobody there that just stood up for me and said, this is wrong. What are you doing? I didn't have any of that. So as time progressed, the beatings got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I can go back and talk about days that I used to get spankings for the smallest things. Now that I look at it, like I was a straight A student. You know, I was on honor roll. I was on the president's list. I was always smart. Um, I can always, you know, pick up on cue, adapt to environments. I was just, you know, always into that. And the simple fact of the matter is no one was there to hone in on my gifts. No one was there to remind me at that young age that I'm special, that I'm worthy. That anything is possible. And you know, you hear people, you hear people all the time and you hear them talk about, you know, they've been pushed their whole life to do great and they have this great support system. I think I'm emotional now more than ever because I'm an adult. I'm also a wife. I'm also longing to be a mom. And I could just never imagine treating my child or any child in that way ever and I think back then I was immune to it so I didn't cry when it was over I was immune to it I became immune to the abuse and I became immune to everything that was going on so over over time it just didn't mean anything. It wasn't until I got older, I started to realize, wait, you know, Cinderella does grow up. And when she looks back, it's not bippity boppity boop. You know? Um, these stories I understand are triggering because they're definitely triggering for me but I also want to give hindsight before I close out this episode um I'm not a victim of Cinderella's unjust doings <laughs> I'm a survivor um and hearing myself repeat these stories and feeling the emotion and putting myself back in that space of that eight-year-old kid just looking for someone to save him. Um, it just validates that Cinderella was a little boy. And yeah, we're told in fairy tales that Cinderella, you know, was this person, but Cinderella was a human being that was forgotten. And we can agree to disagree that she was waiting on her prince charming to come and save her but ultimately cinderella had to save herself and in order to save herself she had to 
go through things and she had to experience things. She had to experience the worst of things in order to get get through. So my story starts off as Cinderella being a little boy. Um, but Cinderella becomes a grown ass woman. And uh, that story is very intriguing. Um, that story will also be in episode two, which I am super excited to just give a little premise to episode two. Um, episode two is a white penis in my mouth. And that is just, we're just going to go ahead and, and, and skip the triggering abuse stories. Um, I think that one was strong enough. There are several other more incidents. There was an incident where my dad um, made my brother catch me after I was running from him because the school had called about something. Nothing major, but I remember he beat me so bad. And then I apologized to him after for the school calling. Not because I did something wrong, but just because the school had to call him. Isn't that crazy? And we're not talking about regular whoopings. You know, again, my father is a big man. He's very built like, you know, like a linebacker. The irony is that's what they would say by magazines. Mean Girls of Morehouse built like a linebacker. But my father was like the real life linebacker. And um, I didn't understand homophobia from my daddy. Until, and, you know, now that I think about it, maybe he was homophobic. Because, you know, I, I'm I'm. I'm okay now. Like I don't got the tears out, but now it's like not getting down to the nitty gritty. Maybe he was homophobic and maybe he saw something in me that made him so angry that something as small as going in someone's refrigerator or, and I wasn't, I wasn't a rude little child to just go in people's houses and go in the refrigerator. That's why I like to stay in the house. I didn't like being around other kids because other kids in the neighborhood was just a little, you know, <coughs> They was a little, you know, risky. And I was terrified of my parents. Um, I never had a loving moment with my dad. My mom, I had a few loving moments, but they're not any that I could truly hold on to as happy memories. Um, but we're going to trans, we're going to, tra- we're, we're going to evolve from Cinderella being a little boy. And we're going to understand what a white penis in my mouth looks like. And again, that's episode two. Um, so hold on to your wigs, hold on to your thongs, whatever you hold on to, hold on to it because episode two is going to get interesting. Um, I want to say this, it's not easy sharing these stories, but I also want to give a little context to why I chose Cinderella as a little boy. Because I want to make sure I'm giving context to these stories. I think people hear stories on podcasts, especially me. I'm just like, well, the title, why? It doesn't make sense. So so I'm, I'm going to break it down. Why? Actually, no, I'm not. Mm-mm. I'm not. Cinderella is a little boy. And that little boy was named Philip. I'll see you next time for episode two. A white penis in my mouth. And y'all thank y'all this has been a beautiful experience thank you and good night